This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 336, a conversation with William Messner Lobes. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is episode 336. It's our conversation with William Messner Lowe's episode, where we sit down with the writer to talk about his runs on uh, Journey, Flash, uh, a little bit of Impulse, etc. So, talking about his career in comics, how he got started, um, how his first interactions with comics, etc. So, just kind of having a nice sit down. But before we get into that, I want to just take care of some housekeeping. You can email us at comicshenanigans at gmail.com, like us on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and you can also listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, upcoming episodes in the next couple of months, we'll have another uh, episode with Danny Fingeroth, who was previously on the show. We should have episodes coming up with uh, David Marquez, which I'm really excited about, Mike Barron, uh, and some other creators that we're still lining up, as well as we're going to have an episode looking at Secret Wars once it's finally over, because it's almost over. This episode's going up, I believe, the weekend of December 8th, 9th, and 10th, somewhere in that time span. So uh, by the time this episode comes out, we'll just be a couple days away from the event finally ending. And then a few days later, I'm going to sit down with Paul Scores, AJ Reese, both prior guests on the show, and we're going to talk about Secret Wars as an event, the actual mini-series or maxi-series, whatever you want to call it, the nine-issue series itself, as well as a few selected tie-ins, because if we took the time to do the entire thing, it might take us hours, and I don't know, maybe some viewers, or listeners, viewers, yes, because now you're watching this audio podcast, some listeners might want that, others would be like, yeah, let's just talk about the highlights, please, and as the producer of the show, I'm going to say the same, highlights of Secret Wars only, and thankfully, there were actually a lot of them, anyways, that's upcoming stuff, so without further ado, let's jump in today's ep- into today's episode, which is our conversation with William messner Lobes. Bill, welcome to Comic Shenanigans, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. I'm so, doing fine. Uh, we uh, we had some health issues earlier on this month, but, but we both seem to be recovering, and uh, so I'm not hacking and coughing into into your uh, into your interview. Excellent. Well, we're we're glad glad you're feeling better, and also glad for my listeners that they won't have to hear either one of us coughing. <laughs> Uh, so, generally speaking, the first question I like to ask people who come on the show is, uh, "What was your first experience with comic books?" Wow, let's go way back. Yeah, I'm. I'm. Uh, well, this this reminds me, as it often does, of a story. I was in a. Uh, I had just finished doing uh, the Spider-Man. Uh, uh, what if? Uh, what if uh, J. Jonah Jameson adopted Spider-Man? And I, in order to do that, I had gotten a complete a complete run of all of the uh, of all the, the Spider-Man and the Masterworks edition. They they sent them to me, and I was able to read them. And I was struck by, you know, how really good those stories were. That they really, if we had had somebody doing that, you know, they were. It, it, if people didn't know that it was Spider-Man, it, it could have been something like uh, an independent comic like concrete you know it was it was really good and so I was talking to some people at a comic book shop about that about how good they were and and so everybody was talking about when was the when did, when did you last uh, uh, when, when did you first read the first issue of Amazing Spider-Man 
And somebody said, oh, well, there was a marble 10 years ago. They had a marble 10 and 2 and 1. And somebody else said, oh, it was a, uh, it was a marble giant size that they did. And the owner of the store had actually read it in the Marble Masterworks edition. And this kid who was sitting ne- standing next to me says, well, when did you first read uh, the first issue of Amazing Spider-Man? And I said, well, actually, I got it off the rack. <laughs> and there was a long, long pause, and and he and I realized that everybody else had turned and looked at me too, and and he said, "How old are you?" So um, so that's how old I am. <laughs> uh, I uh, but actually I'm even older than that because that was my you know I I can remember uh, my uh, I remember reading. Uh, like the Batman family, uh, twenty-five centers, and the and uh, Superman came out, and I was I was actually uh, well, it didn't come out while I was I was reading it. It was it was already there, but uh, I would cut out the little uh, figures in my issues of, of uh, Superman, and I would put uh, pieces of uh, like a like paper clips or something on them. And then I would make a little Daily Planet diorama, and in a, in a shoebox, and I would have one of my one of my strong magnets, and I could drag them around and make Superman fly through the sky and uh, scoop up Lois Lane and and do stuff like that. Um, I also uh, I remember when I, I was sick one day over at my grandmother's house and. Uh, my parents went and bought me comics, and they they bought me comics that, weirdly enough, somehow had penetrated into Brooklyn, Michigan, and they were the uh, uh, let's see, do I want to say the Atlas comics? Okay. The uh, the one attempt that they made to to have mainstream comics uh, and to produce a third company, and uh, so I read. My favorite was Doctor Solar. Uh, but it was the Doctor Solar without the costume, uh, where he just did his doc- did his superheroing in a lab coat and uh, used his ability to transform things. And oddly enough, that it was so. I have no idea. I mean, the, the whole problem with that line was distribution, and and how it ever gotten to got to Brooklyn, Michigan, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, and I I read the Fly then too, and and uh, so. So I, I uh, so that was sort of my era of comics, and then about ten years later, I guess uh, we were actually my my dad kept kept trying to convince me that it was a good thing to fish, and uh, so we went and went to a, a store, and uh, uh, and he, while he was buying bait, I I went into the back, and there was a little spinner rack back there, and I read the and I and I picked up. Uh, the first issue of uh, the Spirits uh, Harvey comics, and that was that was sort of when my my actual comic ex- reading experience began, I guess. Uh, because you know this was something that was that was mine and wasn't widely widely known, mm-hmm. uh, and. Uh, Obviously, it had a huge effect on me. Absolutely. Now, how did you, or when did you decide that you wanted to work in the comic book industry? Well, 
Jules Pfeiffer came out with a book that, uh, called The uh, Great Comic Book Heroes, and it was a sort of it was a partial uh, autobiography and and and, and also a, a listing of all these different heroes, and, and including including the very early earliest of the spirits. And uh, so I was just fascinated by the fact that all these uh, all these comics could. Uh, had existed and they were they were all so different because you know Batman and and Superman and and uh, and even and even Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four were all kind of alike but you know the 1940s superheroes were all terrifically different um, and in there somewhere he said that he realized that uh, he had a mild talent um uh, a mild talent for writing and a mild talent for drawing, and that seemed to be just exactly what was needed to do comics. So that was how he decided to do comics. And I said, Ah, well, I have a mild talent for writing and a mild talent for drawing, so maybe I could do that too. But I had no notion of how he even went about it. I didn't know. I didn't know that there was special paper. I didn't know. I thought that each each panel of a page was probably done on an eight and a half sheet of paper. Um, so that was how my first comics were, were done. And uh, so I tried, uh, I had done, I, had, I went to a comic book convention and on the second comic book convention that I went to, um, my, my folks offered to pay the $10 so that I could have a table. And oh, wow. so I took the, the pen and ink drawings that I had been, I had sold some of at a local uh, art fair and took those with me and put those out on the table. Well, this was not terrifically well attended because you actually should publicize your comic book convention. And um, so all of us, all the people that were there were actually uh, buying from one another. And uh, I was fortunate in that this was in downtown Detroit, so I was only a 20-minute bus ride from my house. <laughs> uh, but but everybody else was coming in from New Jersey and all this, and they were desperately trying to make plane fare home. Um, um, like one of the guys, I was, I, the guy I was sharing a table with, actually uh, um, had had, had uh, original uh, Seeger Popeyes that he was trying to sell, and this was the first time I'd ever seen Seeger Popeyes. I I knew I knew the Flesher. Uh, cartoons, and so it was a it was a big revelation to me, um, and so uh, I uh, but a, a guy came up and looked at my stuff and said, "Would you like to join my comic book company?" And he was actually putting together a little comic book company that was going to be in uh, East Lansing, Michigan. And even there were there were there were, ser- there were, there were several iterations of, of this, but I did in fact eventually join that comic book company about five years later, and uh, it was uh, uh, that was Power Comics. That's where I met uh, Bruce Bennett and Joe Zabel and and uh, and Mike Gustavich and. Uh, we learned off of each other and, and taught each other how to become comic book artists. And in fact, I, I eventually went to uh, went to New York with Mike Gustavich. We made an attempt to break in, and I 
managed to get insulted by Vinnie Coletta. <laughs> uh, so what the hell do you think you're doing bringing this stuff in? I'm making this, I'm making this blog friendly. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and how does anybody, well, what is this, what is this scratchboard stuff that you're, that you're trying to hand me? Well, how can we do our characters like this? What are our characters? What are, and, uh, and, and on, and on and on like that. And, uh, uh, later Mike kept me from throwing myself in front of traffic and said, well, you know, he's just an old hack. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it was an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, uh, introduction to mainstream comics. Sounds like it. What was your uh, your inspiration for Journey? Mm. Well, I did. I actually did a comic, an early early comic to, for what would become uh, 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 what would become Power Comics, and I got paid for it, and I was able to take that money. And um, my friends were going up to Homestead along the Canadian border in Maine. And we were actually preparing an old house for his parents to come and live there. Uh, and that didn't really work out, and there was a lot of cabin fever and bad feelings at the end. But um, I got to actually live out in a kind of wilderness up in Maine. And so uh, that was that was part of it. Part of it was obviously I, I I wanted to do something like the spirit, except I didn't want to do the spirit. So I thought, well, if I instead of you know doing what was a, a, a real Eisnerian style, of, obviously, uh, but instead of putting that on a detective, an urban detective character. What if I did it on a uh, on a frontier character? And once I had decided to do that, um, uh, I had a uh, I, I was had always been interested not so much in western character, but in characters, but in frontier characters like mountain men and. So I, I read several books about them and, and gathered information about it, uh, about trapping and, and all that. Uh, and I found that, uh, that, that I didn't know enough. I didn't know enough to be confident to set something in 19 or 1830s uh, California. You know, what did the trees really look like? What did the what did the soil smell like? What was the what was the weather like? You know, and I realized, well, if I set it a little earlier, if I set it in eighteen ten, then that's where everybody would have been. They they they, they I could move it back to Michigan, and so I decided to do that, and that was. Uh, Pretty much journey. When you were right, when how did you come to write Johnny Quest? Ah, let me. Uh, here we go. I'm I'm moving this to a quieter area. There we go. Uh, 
so the uh, Johnny Quest, uh, I was actually, I had, I had met Sam Keith, and he had done a couple little things in the back of Jury. And, uh, let's see, are you, are you, uh, are you still getting me clearly? Yep. Okay, good. Um, be good um the um um sam sam was working for Kamiko and working as a, as an inker and i sort of helped to introduce him around um and he he heard that uh that Kamiko was going to be doing uh uh was going to be doing johnny quest and they wanted uh, a writer um, he suggested that I call up and volunteer my services. So I, so I did that. And, uh, and Diana was, was very, Diana Schutz was, was very, uh, very interested. I, it turned out I had met her like two or three years before when she was managing comic book stores in, in California. Although I have very, I have only a vague memory of it, but, uh, but she and I hit, hit it off, and uh, uh, their their idea was to do because so many people wanted to do Johnny Quest, but nobody could um, could get a whole uh, uh, have to have the time to do the whole of uh, of of, uh, of you know the twelve issues. So they so she decided. Well, we would have one writer to sort of unify it, and then twelve different uh, uh, twelve different uh, comic book artists to to do the the, the art the art for it. Now, after Johnny Quest, what? How did you come to work for DC? I mean, I guess that is amongst the works that you're probably best known for would be, I guess, the Flash and Wonder Woman. How did you start? kind of working with uh, DC on Flash? Well, um, certainly I was not, I was, I, I was not introduced to it by uh, Vinny Coletta. <laughs> I, uh, he, he, uh, what happened was, uh, uh, I had tried to break in a couple times there and, you know, you go to New York and talk to people and, and there was, it never seemed to be a good fit. Uh, but uh, when Mike Gold was sort of made Uber editor at DC, he had been he had been he had helped to create First Comics, and he had created the Chicago Comic Con. And I had been going to the Chicago Comic Con for ma- for many years and knew him pretty well. And so when. And I did one or two things for, uh, one or two small things for, uh, for First Comics. And I knew about that. So by this time, I knew all these guys. And they all got moved. And, and so I was sort of adopted unofficially as a Chicago comic book artist and, uh, and, and uh, moved with everybody else, with John Ostrander and, and Peter Gillis and all the guys, 
to New York, metaphorically, because uh, we all stayed where we were, really, wherever that was. And uh, and and, uh, and uh, it, the, the whole idea, the, the, the initial idea was that, was that we were going to do wasteland. That was the reason we were all there. But it took two or three years to get the whole concept of wasteland together to see that they could have the funding for it from the from the company and all that. Even though Mike was Mike was editorial head of the company, he, he still had to had to talk to the bean counters and uh, and make sure that, that they had the money to pay us. <laughs> and uh, so we uh, while while I was waiting. Um, uh, the Flash became available, and uh, or Flash became available, and uh, asked me to uh, if I'd be interested in doing that. And of course, I was I was old enough so that the uh, I had I had seen the original Silver Age, the advertisements for the original Silver Age Flash, where you have the in the in the house ads for uh, for Superman and Batman. There was like this long red streak, and it said, uh, uh, "A cheetah can run 60 miles an hour. A tornado can run is, is 600 miles an hour. A comet can go uh, 365,000 miles an hour, and the Flash is faster than all of them put together." So I was pretty much primed. Uh, to read the Flash. So I, I read all the very earliest Flashes. Um, and of course, it was incredibly cool that, uh, that Barry Allen saw himself as a second generation uh, Flash and that he'd actually read the comic books when he was a kid and based becoming Flash on the earlier Barry, Barry Allen Flash. And... Uh, so now I was writing the third generation of Flash. And I was not unaware that this was an interesting development. How did you approach writing for Wally, uh, given that, as you said, he was kind of this new generation of Flash, that Barry Allen had kind of been retired and, and killed off? How did you you know, approach writing him in his world? I wanted to, I wanted to do uh, Wally as a... Uh, um, well, part of it was, uh, they were like, I think the, um, and now we're running into my inability to remember people's names. <laughs> even though, even though I knew the previous writer very well, um, Was it Mike Barron? Mike Barron. Oh, God, Mike is going to kill me when he finds out I, I forgot his name. Um. But, but we, we knew each other pretty well, and, and uh, so I was looking at what he had done, and he had done, I think, the first nine issues, the first ten issues, something like that. And it, it seemed sort of cold to me. And I think I think he was going after a superhero who was in a, in a kind of a James Bond thing, which is, which is why he was going through all the, all the women and... and uh, He'd gotten all the money and and so forth, and had this really awful relationship with his mother, 
and uh, really dreadful relationship with his father. And to me, it seems it seems it, it would. I, I thought it would be more interesting. I, I, in my mind, anyway, I'm, I meet him. Uh, I meet him a couple of years younger, so that I would have more of a running start with him. Because he'd been in the Teen Titans up to this time, and he was supposed to be. Uh, uh, I think Mark Wolfman had, 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 had perceived of him as being the most conservative of the Teen Titans, politically conservative. And so I thought it would be funny if, if his, his uh, Wally's uh, sidekick would be Mason Trollbridge. Uh, a sort of a, uh, I guess he was about 70 years old at that point and was a, uh, uh, a sort of a Roosevelt liberal. And uh, so I could, I could play off of that. But actually the political part of it, which is, I, it was pitched to me as being a kind of a political uh, comic book, uh, superhero strip. Politics of it didn't really uh, didn't really seem to put effort to were doing once you actually were doing the stories. Um, I was I was more interested in in talking about you know Wally's relationship with his mother and with uh, with the chunk uh, who was who was a uh, a living a living singularity where he could he could suck things in and they would go into other dimensions and uh, and and of course there were all the and the, the other thing uh, I've never been terrifically good at creating uh, super villains out of whole cloth but as it turned out that that wasn't what they wanted me to do anyway because uh, the the Flash's rogues gallery has always had a lot of attraction to other people and and uh, other writers, and so they kept people keep kept uh, using our rogues gallery. And if we don't, if you don't do in, within DC, if you don't use the rogues or your particular villain all the time, uh, keep and keep a hand in, then other people are allowed to pull shot. Um, which is which is one of the reasons that uh, uh, Captain Boomerang and, and and some of the other characters ended up uh, uh, in the Suicide Squad. Pardon? As uh, in the Suicide Squad by Ostrander. In the Suicide Squad, yes. So that's that's how. So they wanted to stop that. So every every month, pretty much, uh, they would ask me to use one of the one of the rogues or all of the rogues. And that was since I since I knew the rogues so well, that certainly I I, I liked that. I, I enjoyed that. And uh, uh, so that was that was sort of how that happened. Okay, um, I unfortunately we are running a little lower on time than I thought we would be. So I want to ask a, kind of a, a, a wide question, 
which was obviously you worked on a lot of different DC projects over the years. What was your favorite project that you worked on? Mm. I think I think when you're a writer, the one that gives you the most uh, the most latitude is is the one that you that you like, and I and I, I think certainly Flash was. I think uh, I was I was able to do pretty much everything I wanted, including uh, including having the first. Uh, sympathetic uh, gay character in comics, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was part of the team that helped them design the uh, the 1980s Flash TV show, and as a result of that, they flew the two editors and me to the uh, uh, to Paramount. And we got to watch the filming and the recording and all that. Oh wow! Which is, yeah, that was that was just unbelievably terrific. If if uh, if we ever get together and uh, you have a, a videotape of one of those episodes, I can show you the part of Wally's lab that I hid behind. <laughs> Larry's lab that I hid behind, and. Uh, as a but when we were flying in, I realized that we had been doing a lot of two-part, three-part adventures, and I wanted to do one that was just about Wally and what what he really was as a hero. And that was that 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 plane trip became uh, uh, nobody dies. Uh, which is, I think, a lot of people's favorite Flash episode. And while I was at that, I uh, while we were doing that, I talked to my editor. He wanted to do Wally is drafted by the IRS. And I said, well, if we do that, uh, can I turn, uh, or can I expose uh, Pied Piper as being gay? And he said, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, if you don't have a sympathetic editor and one with big brass ones, like Brian Augustine was, um, you know, he's the one who, if you're going to do, uh, if you're going to, you're going to make a character gay or if you're going to do, you know, turn somebody or decide that somebody is going to be female instead of male or any of that. He's the one that gets the brunt of it. He's the one that goes to those Wednesday meetings and everybody goes, oh, so you're doing the gay comic now. And that kind of thing. So you have to have somebody who really will stand up for you. And, and I cannot say better things about Brian Augustine. Okay. Uh, I want to jump forward for just a second. Um, so you worked obviously on on Wally, and you're well known for your your run on the Flash with Wally. But you also wrote uh, Bart Allen as Impulse. What was it? How did you approach that character differently? Because you're writing another speedster, but a very different type of speedster. Well, that's true. I and I knew uh, uh, Mark Wade had been my editor for a while, and. Uh, I kind of recommended him as taking over for me when I when I left uh, Flash, and uh, so he when he was leaving uh, Bart, and I didn't have much work at that point. He uh, recommended me to take over Bart, and 
I, the hardest thing about Bart, of course, is the fact that he that he thinks of grievances. Uh, all those picture, all that picture writing in his head. And uh, I was talking to, to, to Mark about that. He said, oh, God, yes. He said, that was the, that was the worst thing I ever thought of doing. <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to, you know, you're trying to do this on a deadline to come up with another rebus. And, 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 it, 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 it's just, he, he actually was bringing it at it. Uh, I was not, and I, and I, uh, Bart's thinking, uh, and Rebus just kind of faded away after a while. I, nobody, nobody seemed to write us letters saying, oh, bring back the Rebuses, and I, and, uh, but I just kept in mind, I, what I, what I did when when Mark was writing it, it was it was a little more like a kid's a kid's story where you know Mark was always making was always screwing up and making mistakes and not uh, and, and and you know having to get lectured all the time by uh, by Max Mercury and I thought you know I, to make my own mark on it I I started to change it a little bit so that. You can see the the flaws and the and and the problems that Max Mercury was having. Uh, this uh, actually, I guess 18, 18, uh, 1850s uh, hero uh, trapped in the modern age and the relationship that he had with his daughter and uh, and the fact that he could be stubborn and and so forth. Uh, my my favorite was the uh, well. My favorite moment was where Max decides to do a garden of, of uh, chives that has chives in it, or not will not listen to his daughter telling him that the chives don't have a natural boundary, and so they end up with an entire lawn full of chives, and they're having chive salad, and uh, and and. Uh, And 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 uh, and chives and and and, uh, and and carrots and and chives with their with their uh, potatoes and chives with their steak and, and and Bart says, you know, I don't really like chives that much. And Max says, be quiet and eat your chive ice cream. Uh, so it. I always I, I like I like stories where I can you know take them wherever they're going to go, and uh, I think the relationship between Max and his old villain uh, was was something that uh, where he sort of had a friend to me. Mm-hmm. So uh, I I felt that you know in the I guess in the twelve issues that that. That Mark had written, the relationships and the and the characters were pretty well established. So I thought I was given a certain amount of latitude then in just being able to play with them, and and that that was how it worked. Okay, uh, our last question today um, is: uh, What was it like working with Sam Keith on the Max? What was the collaboration like? 
and what's it like seeing it reprinted today? It was a surprise, actually, seeing it reprinted. I, uh, I, I saw a cardboard box on my on my uh, on my on my porch, and uh, and I open it up, and there's there's like a, an Earth Earth Two version of uh, of the Max in there with new covers and. Uh, a new company, and uh, uh, I was I was sort of stunned. And then the next day, I got a check, so I was not unhappy. <laughs> uh, Sam and I had done uh, apertures together, and then he thought of me to do the writing. And I, uh, after a certain amount of initial reluctance, because I I was not happy with the fact that we were. Uh, uh, the image was being distributed by uh, by Malibu when that source started, and I did not like the business relationship there. Uh, but uh, that business relationship went away pretty quickly, and um, and but I'd always loved working with Sam. So the fact that uh, he would he he basically felt he had done mostly covers over at Marvel, and he was not that uh, that satisfied with his ability to do a full 22-page comic or a 20-page comic. And so he asked me if I could be sort of like de facto editor and, and, and mentor and, and all of that on top of, on top of doing the writing. So what he would do is he would, he would call me up, uh, it was a, we were on a sort of a month and a half schedule, and he would uh, he would ask me if we could. Uh, he would tell me the story, and usually after he told me the story, I would say, "Okay, so that's thirty pages. Um, so why don't we cut it down to twenty, and we'll take some of that good stuff and put it into the next issue." And um, so I would do that, and then I would. Uh, uh, and and then he would start sending me. Um, basically, he would he would do the pencils, and then uh, do uh, Xerox reductions and ink them with very quickly with a marker, so that they would fax. And then he would fax those to me with little notes. Sometimes it would be there would be whole things of dialogue, which I usually didn't have to change that much. Or sometimes it would just be oh, a page of people talking and it would say at the top, Max sad. And then at the bottom it would say Max happy. <laughs> and then I would try to uh, find a way of making the dialogue reflect that. And uh, and it was somebody, usually it was sort of in between. Uh, so I, I wasn't working from from nothing, but that was again very very exciting to me because you know I had a lot of I had a lot of creative freedom and and uh, usually usually Max really liked what I uh, or Sam really liked what I uh, what I had done. And uh, and so we just we, we just went out with it. 
Excellent. Well, uh, Bill, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today about your work on The Flash and and uh, the Max it's, and Journey, etc. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Um, perhaps we'll get you back on at some point in the future. We can talk about your, your time writing uh, Hawkman and Wonder Woman as well. That sounds great. You have a great day. You too. Thank you so much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.